Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, January 19th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk NFC Championship game between Tampa Bay and Green Bay, AFC Championship game between Buffalo and Kansas City. We'll talk the start of the NHL season and take a look at this week's golf tournament, the American Express, out at PGA West in California. Over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff going on for you to check out. College basketball, NBA, NHL seasons all going on the daily. Got previews, picks, predictions, all kinds of good content over at ATS.io for you to check out. My NBA and NHL situational betting tips, taking a long-term week-by-week look at the situational spots presented by the schedule. You check that out on a daily basis over at the website as well, so you can see which games I'm keeping an eye on for that night's action. Also over there at the website, sportsbook promotions, the best of the U.S. sportsbook promotions, wrote up an updated one for the bet $1, win $100 promotion over at BetMGM. All you need is a touchdown this weekend. Bet a dollar on the money line for any of the four teams. If a touchdown is scored by any of the four teams, as a new user sign up over at BetMGM, you can bet $1 on the money line and win $100 in free bets. Not a bad group of quarterbacks here with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and of course, Patrick Mahomes, who we'll see if he's healthy enough to go on Sunday. But if those four guys are out there, you know we're going to get some points. So a good opportunity over at BetMGM Sportsbook. Like I said, you can read about that over at ATS.io. Finally, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. Lots of helpful handicapping tips and tricks. Also, full article integration from the website. So download that against the Spread app today, available in both the Google Play Store and also the Apple Store. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. It's uh, it's going well for me. I feel bad for you. It's <laughs> it's not not fun when you're there and you gotta gotta kick at it and, and, and it ends. Only one team's happy when it's all over, right? Uh, don't feel bad for me. I mean, we're talking about a Browns team that you know won a playoff game for the first time in forever, got to the playoffs for the first time in forever, and you know what? They were right there against Kansas City. They had chances, had opportunities, and weren't able to get it done. And we'll talk a little bit about how that's kind of been Kansas City's mo throughout the course of the season is you know winning but not exactly winning in impressive fashion. But other than that, Brian, we got four teams left standing here, the final four in the NFL playoffs. Any surprises out of these four teams for you? No, pretty much. I mean, the, the AFC, you get the one and two seeds. And, you know, Buffalo found ways to get there uh, in both of their games. Tampa Bay is the five seed in the NFC. It's not shocking. We It's the weaker of the conferences. And, you know, Green Bay at home, I think you pretty much could have penciled them in. And and then I guess you could have made the case for anybody else to get hot at any given moment. Breeze clearly looked limited. Uh, we did talk about Tampa Bay. Brady, at the beginning of the year, there was a, you know, a learning curve, get to know his teammates, the relationship with Arians. Then you add Antonio Brown. Now they got a running game, and the defense is sneaky good. So uh, they're a very dangerous team coming in here. But... Uh, the, no, the, I think the top four are very deserving. 
Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, Tampa Bay, of course, we talked about the importance of getting that five seed in the NFC and, and playing the NFC East champion in the first round. And that was something that did benefit Tampa Bay. Then they go and beat New Orleans. They're plus four in turnover margin in that game, win it 30 to 20. And, you know, I kind of expected, Brian, that, you know, we would see Green Bay, maybe the preferred side here in the NFC championship game because they were so dominant over the Rams. And I know there was all the talk about Jared Goff and going to play in cold weather and all of that, but Green Bay absolutely dominated that box score, 6.7 yards per play against a group that some people thought was the best defense in the NFL. They won that game convincingly as far as I'm concerned. And Tampa Bay, not a great offensive performance for them against the Saints. They just took advantage of some field position and some Saints turnovers, and yet early Tuesday morning here, well in advance of the game, saw some pretty significant influential money on Tampa Bay, bringing that line down to three and a half minus 115 at some places or three at, you know, reduced juice plus money, something like that. Are you surprised to see Tampa Bay taking some money here on Tuesday? No, because Brady's just been this polarizing figure, both with the Sharps and the general public. And it's Brady in the over, Brady in the over, I I don't know that this closes three. I mean, as we said, this uh, number came out Sunday night. Thought it could get down to three for a while. I, I think three and a half will be the the closing number, but that's it's all Brady, and it's it's kind of understandable. The one thing about Green Bay that makes them incredibly dangerous right now, and you know, Rogers likely MVP, is their running game. They've got a three-headed monster right now that's peaked at the right time. You have Jones, who's you know just had a, a great season. Jamal Williams is really good when he gets his hands on the ball. He's actually taken an, an, another step in his level of talent in the last year. And all of a sudden, the A.J. Dillon kid, especially outdoors in the cold, is this big, powerful, heavy back uh, that's quick. But, I mean, he, they can wear you down with the running game. And you haven't even gotten to Aaron Rodgers and what he can do with play action. The fact their running game is so stout right now really makes them salty. You know, I think what's interesting here, and maybe this is part of the reason for this line move here this morning, is that it looks as though Tampa Bay will be getting Vita Via back in this defensive line here to try and stop that Green Bay running game. That's a guy who's a very important player for them. And I think that what we're starting to see now a little bit more to a degree, we know that the fantasy football players impact lines, quarterbacks, big wide receivers, all that kind of thing. But I feel like as we've gotten more quantitative in terms of the betting market, where it is a lot of modeling guys, a lot of guys that incorporate all of the analytics, the individual player grades, stuff like that, we've reached a point now where interior linemen or offensive linemen or you know defensive backs are having more of an impact on the point spread than we've previously seen in the past and I think a lot of this does come down to the modeling crowd so I think part of this is because limits increased here today so maybe you get some people that are kind of looking to speculate a little bit on the market but I also think part of it is that you've got this positive you know injury report for Vita Vea to the point where that's something that could impact that Green Bay running game. I think that's part of the reason why this line did come down a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of things you got to take into account, and and obviously the focus now. You're only dealing with two games, and, and maybe they do dive in and and dissect these things a lot more. Uh, I just think the bottom line is you got Brady and Rodgers, and it, it's a pretty simple handicap. Tampa Bay, same deal, man. They got to go up there. This defense has to create turnovers, give Brady short fields, and the weather doesn't look like it's going to be much of an issue. I think we're looking at, uh, what, 30 degrees in that neighborhood. It's it's maybe, maybe high 20s. It's a lot colder during the week. It's going to be cold. You know, you got a, a Florida-based team going up to the cold. It's stuff that the conditions that Rodgers and this team practice in and thrive in. And Brady, over the years, all the great things he's done, Adam, I'm not going to sit here. I don't have the time because there's so many games to go through. <laughs> but, you know, all, all Brady, all the incredible postseason success, my God, 14th conference championship game. But the majority of Brady's resume and success – those were games that were played at home. Now, I don't know that the home field is that big a deal here. The the crowd is not that big a factor, but it is clearly going to be played in, in the weather conditions and in, in the atmosphere that Green Bay thrives in. Something I think is really interesting about this game is that it is a rematch. In fact, both games here in the conference championship round are rematches that you know, you could point to a variety of different things that happened in the first game that probably won't apply to the second game. And we'll talk about that quite a bit with regards to Buffalo and Kansas City. But Tampa Bay and Green Bay did play earlier this year, and it was Tampa Bay's best performance pretty much of the season. They had an Aaron Rodgers pick six. They had another interception that was run back to the two-yard line that Ronald Jones then scored on. That erased the 10 nothing first quarter lead for Green Bay. And in that game, the Packers were held to 3.3 yards per play. Now, this is a Green Bay team that had 6.3 yards per play on the season. So that was a performance for Tampa Bay that was a dramatic outlier. It's one that a lot of people have talked about as being very influential in terms of their defensive DVOA metrics and some of the other weighted metrics that are out there because Green Bay was such a good offensive team and Tampa Bay held them to 3.3 yards per play. So on one hand, you've got some people that suggest that Tampa Bay's defense isn't as good as what some of the metrics say because they had this one tremendous outlier. And I would look at it from the other side and also say, when have you ever seen an Aaron Rodgers game where he was 16 of 35 for 160 yards with a pick six and a near pick six? So I think in terms of looking back at the first meeting between these two teams, It is apples and oranges to me because I don't think Tampa Bay's defense is nearly as good as that performance would suggest. And obviously that's the outlier of all outliers for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I almost want to say it's a complete throwout. Green Bay was up 10, nothing in that game. And then it, it exploded the Tampa Bay 28 unanswered in the second quarter. Actually ended up being 38 unanswered 38, 10 was the final, but Look at the way that game went. The second half, once Tampa Bay got the lead, the whole, whole second half shut down. The game, it was nothing. You know, it was 10-0 Tampa Bay, and Green Bay was in completely one-dimensional. Uh, it's hard to fathom, you know, Tampa Bay's going to get up 21 in this game and make Aaron Rodgers one-dimensional. Um, I would I would kind of throw 
throw the first one out. I'm sure there'll be a lot of things they'll look at and apply from the first game, both teams, what was good, what was bad. But then there'll be some adjustments that'll be made. But it was just one of those weird, weird games. In in fact, you know, if you wanted to say what could possibly have been the reason, I think, and again, I we, maybe that you even know this, I don't. But that was Green Bay's game coming off the bye. And the bye, and it was very early in the season, which teams don't like. But the the bye week was a nightmare for a lot of teams. I mean, it wasn't like a bye week. Okay, hey, we got we get you know we get five days off, and guys are you know going to Bermuda or golfing or going or you know getting get, getting out of Dodge for. It was in the you know in the teeth of the pandemic. It was a okay, you're off, but nobody could go anywhere, and I don't think teams coming off the bye. You know, it was this rejuvenating thing. In fact, it was it, it, the bye week may have, that early in the year may have really significantly hurt Green Bay. In, in fact, they lost two of three coming out of the bye. Then they got going again. Yeah, that was something we talked about a lot in the middle of the season where, you know, I think there were situations week 10, week 11, week 12, where teams needed to buy. You know, they were banged up. They mm-hmm. needed to get healthy, much like Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's played very well uh, since their bye week. I think their bye was week 12 week 13 something like that but yeah having a buy early on like you said you can't do anything you know you're you're still relatively fresh for the season you want to keep playing and green bay didn't have that luxury and they you know kind of ran into a buzzsaw there after jumping out ahead and again you know just uncharacteristic of aaron Rodgers with the back-to-back picks one of them being a pick six this is not something that we've seen from that guy who is a hall of fame quarterback so i gotta say now that this is down to three even with the extra juice, minus 120 in that range, if you can find a minus three, I think it's worth taking here. I think this goes back to three and a half. I think maybe we see four by the weekend again, because I think Green Bay is probably the more respected side, despite kind of having a bend but don't break sort of defense that, you know, if they break here in this game, they're going to be in trouble. But I think Green Bay just, I just think they're from an efficiency standpoint, viewed in a much higher regard, especially on offense. Yeah, and, and just look at the way that they've been going about things of late. I mean, it, they've just been really just throttling teams. I mean, you know, the end of the regular season, they were they were on cruise control. Albeit, you know, the one thing you would say, though, uh, coming in, it, it, let's go back to, let's say, Thanksgiving. Chicago, Philly, Detroit, Carolina, Tennessee, and the Bears. I mean, that's not a juggernaut of competition you were facing and you can make the case the Tennessee game was, but that was played in a blizzard where Tennessee didn't know what was going on. They were sliding all over the field. And then they won in convincing fashion against, you know, an an exceptional defense and won comfortably. Uh, So I think green Bay's put it together and and they're, they're on a bit of a roll here and I'm, I'm definitely leaning green Bay's way. And then, you know, you're stepping in front of Tom Brady. I get it, but don't sleep on these, you know, late acquisitions, you know, Bell with the Chiefs, although that, that maybe he steps up and does something big this week. But Antonio Brown has given Tampa Bay a, a real boost in terms of the matchup nightmare he creates. I mean, you got you got to be worried about an Antonio Brown now when you were already worried about Evans, Godwin, and uh, Gronkowski. So the Antonio Brown, just his presence, 
you know, makes it challenging, you know, for the uh, Packers defense to go against these guys. But it may be what it really comes down to is can Jones and Fournette run the ball efficiently here and not make Brady one dimensional? I don't care who you are. If you're one dimensional, uh, if they, if, if the start of the game's critical, I mean, if Tampa Bay gets a lead, look out. You know, I mean, this goes right down to the wire. Green Bay gets ahead. You make Brady one-dimensional, maybe a different animal. So, as you said, you know, it is Tuesday. We're doing this well in advance of the game. We know that weather can be very unpredictable in the month of January. Right now, things look about as tame as you could hope for up there at Lambeau Field. But, you know, that could obviously change. We'll just have to kind of wait and see. But Snow showers, but it's not going to affect anybody. It's wind. It's wind. Wind is what matters. We saw that on full display in the Bills-Ravens game, what wind can do. So as of right now, 51 with some extra under juice or 50 and a half out there in the market. I know you're, you know, kind of more of a totals guy sort of across the board. Anyway, any thoughts on this total? You got Brady and Rogers. I mean, and like you said, you know, so it's going to be cold, big deal. Uh, I I would envision we'd see points in this game. Um, I I think in Brady's just, I don't see Brady going up there and spitting the bit. I think the Bucks are going to get theirs. I, I would probably lean. I would probably lean to the over in this game. That would be the lean. And I, but I, what I would say is, if if you're of that belief, I'd bet it now because we just see it all the time. I mean, any. I mean, not even talking about Rodgers. If Brady's playing game day, they're going to bet Brady in the over. You know, and now you got Aaron Rodgers to boot. I think this total closes 51 and a half, 52 maybe is possible. Because I, th- I think the one thing that's going to happen here is people will want to see them running around in the warm-ups and all this stuff. And you, you watch at the end, and you'll, you know, on game day, when they start doing reports from Lambeau Field, and, it, you know, the reporters are standing there, and they're, they're bundled up, but, it, but it's a sunny day, uh, you know, it, it's just a sunny day they're going to start hammering the over. If the reporter's standing there five hours before the game, you know, standing sideways like a Weather Channel reporter leaning into the wind, then it's going to come plummeting down. But if the weather remains pristine other and just cold, they're going to bet the over. I think this will be a really interesting total to watch because last week, and we talked about this at multiple junctures on the show, I expected under money to come in for Tampa Bay, New Orleans, and it never did. It never did. It never did. And then in fact, the line even went up to 53 and it did of course stay under the total 30 to 20. It was a game that should have been well under the total, both teams under five yards per play, but the turnovers for New Orleans, you know, certainly playing a big role in in the scoring for that one. The fact that that total never took under money makes me really curious about what this one will do. Because to me, I think last week's line movement and the fact that there wasn't really any buyback suggested to me that people are weighting Tampa Bay's offense much higher than Tampa Bay's defense. And I do think that probably is the case. So if we get a clear weather forecast here, I've got to think, like you said, this one probably does shut down 51 and a half, 52 going off at kickoff. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brady and Rodgers, that's the starting point. I mean, you get two guys that can light it up. and But but I think there's a buyer beware mentality for this game uh, from the weather perspective, and there's a buyer beware mentality in the Bills-Chiefs game on Mahomes' status. But later in the week, you know, 
you're going to start to see movement in the numbers. All right, so let's go to that game here. Buffalo and Kansas City, the AFC Championship game, and seeing a little bit of Buffalo money this morning as well. This one, a tough game to line because you don't really know the status of Patrick Mahomes, not even just the head or neck injury, but especially the foot injury that I know you and I chatted on the phone last night, and we kind of highlighted that as something that we'd really focus on here. Eventually, the books kind of settle around Kansas City minus three. I think the implication here is that Mahomes is 85 to 90% to play. If he's officially announced in, maybe we see three and a half, maybe we see four, which is kind of where it was uh, with the look ahead line as Kansas City was playing. Total has come down a little bit now into that 53 range, Brian. Tough to say a lot about this game, not knowing much about Mahomes, but where are you kind of at on this one? Well, Mahomes is going to play. I don't think there's any way they're going to rule him out. I don't know, per se, that it's ne- it was necessarily a concussion. Uh, there, there's mixed reports out there. My wife is a physician assistant, and she's unbelievable. Like she, she actually watched the game. So oh, that guy's got this, or that guy's got that. And when you looked at that play, it was more of the neck. You know, it was like it didn't look like this ridiculous blow to the head. But the, when he got up and he's all wobbly, it's like a boxer getting punched in the ear. You know, he lost his equilibrium. And I, I, I think she said it's called that the, the cochlear bones in his ear got got shifted. And, it, you know, it was like a vertigo thing or he lost his equilibrium. Now, because he ran off the field really good. I mean, if you've got a concussion, the last thing you want to be doing is sprinting to the locker room. You know, the first thing she says, well, he's racing to the locker room to throw up, and, which is one of the signs of a concussion. But she'd probably be okay, but he would be more prone to that happening again in, in the short term. So, but I don't – they're saying he's in concussion protocol and he's got to clear these five things. But there were reports saying it wasn't a concussion. Honestly, he's playing. But Andy Reid just kind of blew back. Oh, we're fine with the toe thing. You know, he was masking that and, and focused on the, on the concussion neck thing. The turf toe thing, I think it's turf toe. I, mean, I ain't no doctor, but – you know, they, they took his shoe off. They're looking at his big toe, and he's hobbling around out there. Now, when you're running around, you've already warmed up, and you're loose, and you're out there running around, he finds a way to keep going. But he clearly, when he's thrown to his right, he was fine on his back foot. When he threw to his left and stepped into it, he bounced a couple of balls in there before he exited the game. I would think the Bills would do anything in their power uh, to try to force him to throw left. But, you know, you got all these guys you got to worry about. But I think the toe is is the more significant thing that if he is not as mobile as he's accustomed to being, extending plays, stretching the field, it's going to be interesting. I think the, the Bills would probably have, you know, a couple of game plans coming in here based on, you know, what is Mahomes looking like? I think it would be really wise of them you know, in, in any way, shape, or form playing this game. You want to get a hit on this guy as early as you can. I mean – and that maybe means bring pressure early. You, you want you want him to take a couple of hits. You want to see what you're dealing with. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And and I also wonder, too, you know, what the game plan kind of looks like here for Kansas City. I mean, you know, they were very well prepared to face Cleveland. They played very well in the first half. That's a first half that should not have been as close as it was. Butker missed a kick. They got bogged down in the red zone a couple of times. That's a game where Kansas City really could have put a beating on Cleveland in the first half. Browns got to hang around, you know, eventually had their chances in the second half once Mahomes went out. 
But in the first game between Kansas City and Buffalo, and I know that you're going to have an argument against what I'm about to say, so I'll give you the floor in a second. But Kansas City ran for 245 yards against the Bills in that first game. 6.4 yards per play. Mahomes was fine, but they did it with Edward C. Lair and the running game. Now, Matt Milano wasn't out or wasn't out there for Buffalo. That was a big deal. But the Chiefs ran the ball so efficiently and so effectively in that game. It does make me wonder if Reed will try to take some of that pressure off of Mahomes by trying to get this running game going again against the Bills, if that's something that he just kind of found to exploit in that first matchup. Yeah, not worried about it. I hope that I hope that's what he tries to do. And that first game, I marvel at this stuff. I watch every Bills game, every play. Chris Collinsworth shows up and does the game, and he didn't say anything different in the Ravens game than he said when he showed up and they did the – in fact, he did, did he do the Pittsburgh game with Chirico, the Sunday night game? He may have. But like, he didn't offer anything. They all say the same things. They didn't offer anything. And the first game, all the pregame shows, all the pundits, all the – oh, Kansas City, you know, destroyed the Bills. I mean, they made it sound like, you know – uh, it was like uh, it was sixty-two to three or something. That game, and here it comes. All of it. The Bills lost three games this year. One is a hail mary. They won the game. They went down and won the game at the end of the game. Okay, the hail mary. It, whatever. Every second counts. The only other two games the Bills lost were to Tennessee and Kansas City in back-to-back weeks. They ended up playing Tennessee, who was coming off a two-week bye and was mad at the world because they were getting pitchforked for, for being lax with the COVID stuff. And then the Bills weren't sure they were playing that game with Tennessee, had spent the better part of the, the, two, the week leading up to that to prepare for Tennessee and Kansas City, lose to, lose to Tennessee, then have to turn around and play Kansas City on a short week in a matinee game that was played in crummy weather conditions. Okay, those are little things you say, okay, they can make a mini excuse for the Bills. There are three monster things that are different for this game than what happened in the first game. One, you mentioned Milano was not in there. The Bills are 12-0 and when Milano's in the lineup. Milano will, I think, draw a lot of Travis Kelsey. You are not stopping Travis Kelsey, but if they can keep him from being dominant, Milano's a guy that maybe brings Kelsey back to reality a little bit. But in terms of the running that the Chiefs did in the first game, Edmonds had a bum shoulder the first third of the season. He couldn't tackle. He was playing with one arm. He had a bum shoulder, and he was out there, and he was playing. Edmonds did not get healthy until their bye week, and Edmonds is flying around now. He's a tackling machine. And then look what the Bills did. They shut down the Ravens' running game on a night that was windy and crummy when you needed to run the ball. You could say the advantage was Baltimore had a better running game than the Bills, and the Bills' defense shut them down. So Edmonds and Milano, the combination of the two is monstrous. But the one that is even bigger than those two, no one mentions this. And to his credit, and I guess the team's credit, specifically to Allen's credit, he never, ever, ever used it as an excuse. But before those two losses, the Bills played in Vegas. 
And before halftime, Allen got knocked out of the game. He popped his shoulder out. They never said it happened. Uh, I think it was uh, Hasselbeck on the one broadcast was saying he popped his shoulder out. And it's like a three- to four-week injury. And they popped it back in, and he went back out, finished the game. They beat the Raiders. The next three weeks, Josh Allen was wearing a shoulder brace on his non-throwing shoulder. So he was throwing everything off his back foot, and he was playing hurt. And in the next, the game after that, they won. They were they played horribly. They beat the Jets eighteen to ten. So what what was the common denominator there? Those two guys I talked about were not one hundred percent, if not even playing in Milano's case. But Allen was playing with a bum shoulder in that window of games that they lost, and he never made an excuse about it. After that, they got the bye week. All these guys got healthy. You know that first game, to, and and then the last thing I'll say. They act like the Bills lost that game 52-3. to The fact of the matter is they were down 23-17, couldn't have played any worse. And with five minutes to go twice, they had Mahomes at third and 13, and he passed for it. And then third and seven, Jerry Hughes ran inside on a rush, and Mahomes scrambled for another first down. The Bills couldn't get the ball back, and the Chiefs tacked on a field goal. But they were literally twice had the opportunity to get the ball back to Josh Allen down six to go down and win that game. But if you hear people talk about that first game, they got destroyed, utterly destroyed. Like, you know, this game wouldn't even be a contest based on the first game. And I just gave you an army of things why this game will be different. I mean, look, in fairness, and again, with Allen being hurt, Milano being out, Edmonds being severely limited, Kansas City outgained Buffalo by 260 yards in the first game. So there is that. But to your point about Buffalo having two chances in the fourth quarter of that game, Kansas City outgains Buffalo by 260 yards. They win by nine points. They outgained the Raiders by 96 yards, one by four. Outgained the Buccaneers by 126, one by three. Dominated that Dolphins game for three quarters. Let Miami back in the game in the fourth quarter, one by six. They dominated New Orleans in that big spotlight, potential Super Bowl preview game. They won that by three. There's a pattern here for Kansas City. Even last week, they outgained the Browns by 130 yards. Kansas City had seven yards per play against that Browns defense, won the game by five. They've won a ton of box scores this year in really dominating fashion and have won basically one-score games in a lot of them. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what this is, but eventually if you play with fire enough, Uh you run a great chance of getting burned. And Kansas city has done that far too many times for me to be comfortable with betting them in this game. You're playing with fire. And at some point, and there's only two opportunities left, but at some point it may catch up to you. You're right. I mean, they've, they've burned the betters money. It's a terrific team. I'm not shooting holes at them. But I will tell you this, I was sitting there watching the game, like I'm doing all this, you know, looking at Cleveland. Can Cleveland come back and win? And the Bills are hosting hosting the Browns. Part of me sitting there going, and be careful what you wish for. That Browns running game coming in, and, and, and they'd be on the Tootsie Roll coming in. There was a part of me, to a degree, was like, I don't care who the Bills play. And the one thing is, and I can say this emphatically, because I watch these guys so closely, I don't know what it is. But I'm convinced of this. The Bills play better on the road. 
They are a more focused group on the road. Uh, you know, they, they survived against Indy. You can make the case Indy should have won that game. They make the huge play, and in, in Jackson gets hurt. They get by the Ravens. But they, they weren't. They were they were ugly games, and the Bills found the way to win those ugly games. I don't know what it is about these guys when they go on the road. They're a much more focused group, and and there's a large part of me. Adam says, if they were hosting the Browns, all the pressure in the world is on. I think the Bills come in here kind of with a house money thing, you know that if there if there's pressure, there's pressures on Kansas City. The the one thing I thought about being on the road is that it was the first game for Cleveland really being in that kind of environment and early in the game. And it was not Kevin Stefanski did not get rave reviews for his performance last weekend. There's no doubt about that. Does that mean I get to cash my McDermott coach of the year ticket, please? So blue in the face that Stefanski is going to be coach of the year. Wasn't that voted on before the, before the playoffs started? Yeah, but, but it's not been announced yet. Yeah. But everybody under the sun are want to give Stefanski the, the the coach of the year thing. He, great, he's an unbelievable job. He's right there. It's it's. But oh, the you know the Browns haven't done this in forever. I'm like, well, neither have the Bills. The Bills won the division, won thirteen games. But the one thing about Stefanski that I don't think got enough play. I know there was a lot of talk about the decision to punt in the fourth quarter and you know the timeout usage. I know that's something that you always talk about early in the game. The Browns were not getting their plays in quickly. So in the first quarter, they were running around pre-snap, trying to get all the motion. They come, they came very close to a couple of delay of game penalties. They had to burn a timeout early in the first quarter, all that kind of thing. I think well, isn't, crowd- isn't that what happened? Isn't that what happened? The, 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 the challenge was stupid. Okay, whatever. Somebody gave him bad information. But the timeout in the second half, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that on a first down after the quarterback sneak to get the drive going and they don't get a play in on first down and had to use a timeout. That was an issue for them throughout the game. I don't know if it was a communication problem with Baker and the headset. If the little bit of crowd noise had something to do with it, if it was just five yards, but it was one of those things early in the game where they weren't getting the plays in quickly. They weren't getting lined up. They weren't getting set up. Baker didn't have time to read what the chiefs were showing him on defense. And they looked really disjointed early in that game. And, and maybe it's something that wound up costing them. I think here in this one, you know, Buffalo should have better communication, should be better prepared for this type of spot. One other thing I want to key in on here, and then we'll move on to the NHL. Field position is going to play such a big role in this game. And we saw that in the wild card game where Buffalo was buried in their own territory, really had to work extremely hard to score points, managed to score enough, wound up moving on. Last week, they had better field position in the bad conditions, missed two field goals, only scored 10 points off the good field position that they had on some of their drives. I think that's going to be really important here in this game. And I don't really know how to handicap that per se, other than looking at maybe special teams, DVOA or something like that. But that's going to be a big deal here because you've got two really good offenses that if they're getting premier field position, they're going to put up points. The team that has to drive the longest in this game probably ends up losing this game. So I don't know how to handicap that per se, but I think the field position battle will be extremely important. Both teams, I think, have really good special teams. And, you know, the Bills have the all-pro return man. You get the kid kicker, who actually I think has been more consistent than Bucker, who keeps missing these extra points. Both these guys got monster legs, but 
you know, the strength of your leg doesn't matter because we watched both Bass and Tucker miss field goals in the wind at Buffalo. But, yeah, both teams have really good special teams. Um, the, the one other thing I would say in this game, with the there's no tomorrow mentality, I think Allen tucking the ball and running is going to be, uh, you know, if this offensive line, they don't run the ball very well, hardly at all. But their pass protection has been great. And when teams do blitz, Allen's been the best quarterback statistically uh, against the blitz. But in this game, the you know, it's not about worrying about tomorrow. Uh, I think uh, in the red zone, watch out for quarterback draws. And Allen will t- and run. And that's the one thing that could be concerning in this game. And it seems like he's over it. And I'm blue in the face with the people talking about the accuracy. Please, that ship has sailed. But he does still, you know, he he gets wired so tight that Allen's they got to calm him down. As long as that would be the one concern is that maybe because it's such a big stage and it means so much that he does try to do something, uh, do too much. But I do think he's going to run the ball. I think in the red zone, watch out for quarterback draws. And the one guy Allen's got to watch out for, because all the guy does is make plays, Allen needs to know where the honey badger is at all times. Yeah, he had a big game, definitely, uh, in that one against the Browns. All right, so let's go over to the NHL side of things here. And, you know, Brian, as I was kind of looking through some of this, there are two teams that haven't lost yet in the NHL. One is Vegas. They are perfect 3-0. and uh, The other, actually three teams. Another one is Florida. They've only played once. The other one is Tampa Bay. They're 2-0. and uh, Florida and Tampa Bay, both supposed to play the Dallas Stars. Dallas had 17 players test positive for COVID. They're hoping to actually start their season on Friday here. As far as winless teams, only two of those. One is the Los Angeles Kings. Both of their losses in overtime. The other is the poor Chicago Blackhawks who are 0-3 already. Uh, they've given up 15 goals in three games. Did play Tampa Bay in their first two. But other than that, I mean, it's it looks like this, you know, back-to-back thing is kind of creating some early season parity in the NHL. And we said it would. There's, there's a sense of urgency when a team loses the first game of a series. You get their best shot in the second game. I think uh, – the first instance was Vancouver beat Edmonton. Edmonton came back and beat them. Then on Friday night, I believe there were eight games that were rematches. The team that lost the first game went five and three, and two of the losses were Anaheim uh, losing in overtime at Vegas when Vegas pulled the goalie and tied it with a minute to go. And the other one was a grisly, gut-wrenching loss for L.A. against Minnesota. Uh, so, yeah, we said this all along. The team that loses the first game has a real stone in their shoe. Uh, the, you know, so th- there are things you're going to watch for. Vegas just started last night. I was at that game. Uh, you know, Arizona had a great shot to beat them. Vegas, for whatever reason, gets their act together in the third period and won the game. They're playing four in a row. First time in history uh, the teams will play four consecutive games uh, in the regular season. It, it makes it a unique handicap, and there are a lot of things that some things that come into play. We're still very early in the year. Once we get into the gauntlet of the schedule, the backups will become a lot more prevalent, and it's going to be kind of fluid in terms of the things and the opportunities you're going to spot. But they're plentiful. It, the, the, I think it's going to be – it's always been the best sport to bet, and it's going to be even better this year with the opportunities that are laid out in front of us. 
Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, the four games in a row thing for uh, for Vegas and Arizona is nuts. There's another one later in the week. The Jets and the Senators, uh, the first game is tonight. They'll play three in a row against each other. The first two are in Ottawa, and then the third game is in Winnipeg uh, over the weekend. I think that game is Saturday uh, for the third one between those two teams. Like I said, I do a situational betting article every week over at ATS.io looking at you know, teams in a back-to-back against the same team, a back-to-back with one-day rest, all those kinds of things. But, Brian, one thing at the start here of the season, home teams are at 62%. They're 26-16 and 16 so far. Last year, home teams were 52.5%, 636 and 576. To me, I think early on in the season, when you're still trying to get everybody kind of in the mix, in the fray, the fact of getting last change at home, I think, has been pretty beneficial to this point in time. But that is something I, you know, I think may continue for the first couple of weeks, maybe the first three weeks, something like that. But that is something I would expect to level off, especially without fans and, you know, as everybody gets all four lines kind of going. Yeah, there are some things you look at now that I, I don't think you're going to hold water. And, you know, that's the travel is a thing again because, you know, the, with the bubble. But now you got the travel where these guys go on the road and it's the rink, the hotel, the rink, the hotel. Uh, it's, it's not a bubble per se, but they can't do anything. And teams that are going to be on a longish road trip, by the end of that trip, these guys are going to be, oh, get me the hell out of here. I want to be gone. But look for teams that are starting road trips to get to always try to get the trip off to a good start. And then and I still don't think we even know who these teams are. I mean, the World Juniors, the first few games, guys just looked, you know, some of these guys are going, I thought this guy was going to be a stud. He looked awful. By the fourth game, the guy was, you know, skating around like his hair was on fire. These guys are still, and it's starting to go away now. But collectively, so many of these teams are shaking off the rink rust. And some teams didn't handle it well coming out. It was no preseason games. By the end of next week, we're going to know who teams are. And it's... You know, and the schedule is going to dictate. I mean, you had you know, Buffalo 0-2 against Washington. Went in last night, and the Flyers looked like everybody's ready to hand the Flyers the cup. And, and the Sabres go, went in there last night and destroyed them. You know, 6-1 was the final score. They could have, can't afford a three-game losing streak. And, you know, now they play a rematch tonight. And you sit there and say, well, the team that loses the first game is going to have that big revenge what I saw last night, <laughs> you know, 20 hours later, I don't know what changes. I mean, the, the Sabres skated rings around them, but it's another night, right? I mean, the Flyers come out. I think the Flyers are going to be real physical at the beginning of the game tonight. That, that one's going to be a real intriguing one to me uh, is to watch that because you would think the Flyers were embarrassed at home and they're probably happy there weren't fans there for that effort because they got booed off the ice. The Sabres murdered them. You know, I think what's been really interesting is, is we've talked about this on Monday shows with Kyle Hunter about college basketball and, and playing the back-to-backs. And, you know, we haven't seen too many line adjustments. You know, generally speaking, the spread comes out about the same, maybe a half point or a point. In extreme cases, two points off what it was the night before. Last night, the Sabres, you know, they're minus 150, minus 160 in that type of range against Buffalo or against uh, Philadelphia tonight. That line's in the minus 130, 135 range. So seems like maybe we are seeing a little bit more of a price adjustment in the NHL 
than we've seen, you know, say in the NBA or in college basketball with these back-to-backs. But again, that may just be, you know, early on in the year, just sort of looking at the inefficiency of the market. What have you kind of picked up on, you know, with the lines for these back-to-backs and how they've been adjusted? Well, I think the odds makers do a better job of it and pay more attention to it. Yeah, no, like, like last night, Buffalo was plus $1.30 uh, in that spot. And just real quick, uh, what are we looking at tonight? You get that right in dollar, front of you? Dollar twenty, dollar fifteen, plus a dollar twenty. Yeah, yeah. The, so the number is it's only moved a dime, but the thing that's crazy about that now, if if this information's correct, uh, the the projected goalies, Hutton played last night, and this is saying he's coming right back. And I, I guess maybe if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But they're saying Carter Hart, who's their stud goalie at home, they chased him out. And it's confirmed now, at least this is the side I'm seeing, it's just confirmed, they're coming back with Brian Elliott tonight. So here are the Flyers who got murdered last night coming back and playing with their backup, who got who played the back half of the game and because they, they pulled Hart. So it's funny, the Flyers are less of a favorite than they were going into last night playing their backup goaltender because they were decimated i mean it really was it was such a one-sided game but that's the nature of this game these guys colorado was embarrassed in their opener against st louis and then they they came back and beat them in the second game eight nothing you know so these guys believe me they, they you know they don't like being embarrassed and the flyers were embarrassed last night and that was a nationally televised game and they were embarrassed so then this this was one of the uh, you know the ones you look at and go, hey man, um, Colorado lost or was, was it St. Louis lost that second game eight nothing, and now they had to work for it. But you're saying if you're saying you want a great opportunity, here's a team off an eight nothing loss that got embarrassed. You know, St. Louis then bounced back and beat San Jose five four. So these guys don't like to be embarrassed and bounce back quickly. Well, and I think something else that's important to do too, and we've talked about this in terms of college basketball with the back-to-backs is, you know, look for some of those box score outliers, you know, like yesterday, Columbus and Detroit, you ask a lot of people that watch that game, Detroit was the better team. I mean, they were the better team specifically at five on five. They had nine high danger scoring chances compared to five for Columbus. Jonas Corposalo just played really well. Columbus held on late in the game. Tonight, Columbus goes to Elvis Merzlikens. And we see a price adjustment here because even though Columbus won, Detroit, in a lot of respects, was the better team. So that's another line that's down about 10 or 15 cents from where it was yesterday. So that's really important to take a look at, too, is, you know, if there was a a wrong side winner, so to speak, the night before, look at that second game. See, you know, what may change from game one to game two, and there could wind up being some betting value on that. You know, I look at a game like last night, you know, Islanders win one nothing over the Bruins. Tuka Rask only faced 17 shots in that game. One of them went past him. That was the game, a one nothing victory for the Islanders. So as you dig into the box score, whether you do it from an advanced metrics standpoint or just looking at some of the basic numbers that are out there, look for those outliers. Try to find some sort of actionable edge from what you know you think probably shouldn't have happened in the first game that will happen in the second game or something like that. I think there's a lot of good opportunities to play on some of those spots. Yeah, well, don't we don't have long all day to do this? You know, you can't. A hockey box score is the the biggest waste of time in God's green earth. 
they, this, they give you shots on goal. I could care less about shots on goal. It's it's the, the dumbest stat. And people, oh, they outshot him 32-18. They must have killed him. So oh, the, the goalie beat him. And, but the team that got outshot 32-18 to 18 hit the post five times and had six chances in a high slot and shot it just wide. The team that got outshot 32-18 to 18 should have won the game by three. But that's not in the box score anywhere. You had to watch the game to know that. Well, I mean, the goal is the biggest phony stat in all of sports. Or you can look at the analytics, like high danger chances, scoring chances, all those kinds of things. They're in the advanced well, box score. I know well, you love analytics, but they are hey, in the advanced hey, no, box. No, no, high high danger chances. I'll give you that. But if you want to, you can call that analytics if you want. I call it incompetence from the NHL that it's not in the box score. The rest of the stuff you can take a big lighter to it. Expected percentage, this that. You, you go ahead, you rattle them off what they are. They mean nothing to me. What are, what are some of these? I things? mean, you just talked about chances in the slot. I said, I, I get, no, I said, I'll give you that one. That should be in the box score. But all this other crap with Corsi and this and that and all that other nonsense. I mean, I, you know, just throw it out, throw it out with the bathwater. I mean, you don't like, what, what puck, you, don't like these... you don't like puck possession metrics. No, you can't score if you don't have the puck. So you don't like puck possession metrics? Plus minus. Guy steps on the ice. You know, they changed. The guy steps on the ice and a goal scored. He gets a minus. Well, yeah, you know? I mean, plus minus is a is a that's an archaic stat. I mean, that's that's the ERA of, of NHL to me. I'm I'm telling you, see, here's the thing. Well, you know, what, you know, no, no, you know what? Puck possession? No, I mean no. No. Great. You had the puck the whole time. And in the in the other team's laughing at you. Go ahead. You're skating around on the outside. You're on the periphery. You, they don't have. They have no heart. They don't go to the blue paint. Hey, they had a puck all the time. Yeah, what happened? They lost four <laughs> one. But in concert with using puck possession along with high danger chances and some of the other advanced metrics that are out there, I, there there's there's definitely a place. For, the thing that I've always told people when it comes to sabermetrics with baseball is that analytics quantify what the eyes can see. You, t- you watch all kinds of games, and I respect the hell out of you for watching all kinds of games. You know, you, I, it's a big-time commitment, and it certainly helps with your handicapping and your analysis of the game. But if you sit there and watch and see that a team is dominating the game, the analytics will quantify it for you in terms of what the expected value of that was, what the expected goals should have been. All it does is affirm what your eyes are telling you just in a numeric way. And then there are times where this guy is a analytics home run. Oh, he's an analytics darling. I wouldn't want the guy on a beer league team. I've played on some bad beer league teams. I, I would take those guys. But, but I, I understand the point you're making. And, and the, the thing of it is we're both attempting to get to the same conclusion here yeah. from, from different sides of the coin. Right, but 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 you but it, you want it to be information you can count on. It, it's nice, and a lot of that stuff sounds good, but I don't know that it necessarily necessarily correlates in that. Really, this guy they love this guy. Analytics say this guy's great. I don't know. Every time I watch him, he vacated the zone. He's chasing the puck. He's out of position. He causes more trouble than he's worth. But analytics say he's great. Well. It- 
here's the thing. I'm not a hard line, all analytic. Not everything is black and white to me. There, there is a measure of gray area. I'm not very hard line sabermetric or analytic or anything like that. I still also like to watch because, you know, first and foremost, I'm a fan, but also because there are things that, you know, you can pick up on that, that maybe aren't going to be out there. I understand. Here's my whole thing about it. I have a real problem with people that are completely 110% anti-analytics and metrics. And I have a problem with people that are 110% all about the metrics. I think there is a mix. There's and a to me, I'm more on the analytics side than I am on the eye test side and all of that. But I will rely on both because I think I am there's not, value I, I know I sound like the old guy, get off my lawn. I'm not saying ch- chuck it all. There's a place forward as a piece of the puzzle but there are people that make you know their whole existence to justify their existence general managers and scouts are you know well their analytics rule their decision making uh you know i just i think there is a place for it but i just think it should be significantly less than the stock that's put into it i don't completely ignore it but I think it can lead you down a bad path. I think it's a really interesting discussion. I think it's a great one to have, you know, whenever it comes up here on the show and, you know, it's always good to disagree on some things too. I think it makes for good radio. And, you know, I think that we, uh, you and I have some pretty good radio here on the show. Let's see. Oh, if- I, I, and I always, I bust your onions about it all the time and you bust my onions about it. I, I, I'm not, I think the stuff I'm saying is true. That, that a lot of this stuff that no, I don't know what analytics is looking at here. Or these numbers are telling me about this guy. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry. The, those analytics don't justify what this guy is. I, I, you know, I've watched it for a long time. Are there guys that, Hey, yeah, it, it works and it makes sense. And maybe it would point you to let's give this guy an extra look, you know, again, you know, all this analytics stuff, it doesn't tell you for the most part, like the puck possession thing and all these other, uh, puck possession is is the same as shots on goal to me. You can have the puck all night long, but if you're skating around on the periphery, I don't care. It's like, go ahead. Well, you guys look pretty out there. All right, my turn with the puck. I'm going to the net and scoring. Uh, you know, it, it's it is it's 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 a fun thing. You can get heated with it and disagree and have fun with it. And I just think that you've got to find the proper mesh to use this to your advantage. I just, I just don't, I think sometimes you, you get led down the wrong path relying on it with a, and go, I just, I just, I don't get that. I don't, I mean, what, I don't know what I'm not seeing what those numbers are telling me. Like I said, I mean, I, I disagree with the extremes on both sides. I, you know, and, and I can understand trusting the metrics more than your eyes because one of the things about trusting your eyes is, I mean, you have to watch it consistently. And that's something that you're able to do for the most part. You watch a lot of sports consistently. People that will watch one game and start making determinations because they saw one data point, that part's wrong to me. If you if you can consistently view it and come up with, you know, some larger sample size determinations on players and teams because you've seen a lot of it, that's one thing. If you walk into it and you see, you know, one data point, you watch one game, you're like, oh man, that guy's, you know, terrible because he had a bad night or whatever. That's something that's altogether different. Similarly, I think the people that only rely on the metrics, 
you know, again, I can understand why, because it's, you know, it's, it's numbers, it's data. It's, you know, numbers, generally speaking, don't lie a whole lot, which I know you'd probably take, you know, take a different side with that. But I also think that there is some measure of gray area that has to come into the equation, that it's not all black and white. And, you know, it's it's just uh, well, it, it's a discussion. Yeah, oh, I, 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 I know, buddy. I, and listen, Kansas City could win this football game by twenty-seven, right? But analytics and all that stuff—it's not going to tell you like whether it, it comes into play. We'll know after the fact. But analytics isn't going to tell you that Edmonds was playing with a bum shoulder, or it was—it's not going to tell you that Allen was playing with a shoulder brace in the first game. And if the Bills win by 17 this week, which isn't going to happen, but if the Bills win big this week, you look back at that first thing and go, oh, I didn't see that coming. They got murdered in that first game. Well, that stuff analytics isn't going to tell you. Yeah, I mean, that, you do have to apply context. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. You, you certainly have to apply context. You know, like, like I said, you know, a lot of the advanced metrics sites liked the Buccaneers' defense a ton most of the season – because of that one Green Bay performance that was such a dramatic outlier with 3.3 yards per play. That's not happening again. Aaron Rodgers probably isn't throwing another pick six and a pick return to the two-yard line in this game. Probably not happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you do have to apply context and you know understand that some things are just outliers. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great can, discussion to have. We, sure. can, we can go at this all day. No, but I, I, love having the, I love having the debate with you. Hey, real quick, I, I don't know if you saw this. I was gonna say it just happened. Actually, that was like forty minutes ago when we started doing this and started arguing about analytics. <laughs> Carolina, Nashville, postponed COVID situation with the Hurricanes. Here we go, pal. I, this, 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 this fifty-six game sprint. Dallas hasn't even started, and now you got that. When are they going to make these games up? You know, I mean, they're 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 in a race to try to get done before the Olympics. That we don't even know that that's going to go. It was what fifty six games in one hundred and sixteen days, I think, oh, man. something like I, that. And now they're going to make this stuff up. And now Dallas has already missed what f- three games. I games. know, I know. Yeah. I don't, I don't. You know, I thought, I thought they made a huge mistake. They're so worried about the Olympics next year, which is fine. And the only reason they're playing this year and losing money is because the new TV deals coming. But I, I thought that the wise thing to do was. Well, maybe not necessarily play the 82 or whatever, but they rushed to get it started, to rush to get it over before the Olympics. When, to me, they should have had the regular season end as the Olympics ended. So what? For three weeks, you're not on the NBC Sports Network the last three weeks of the regular season. We can watch that on, you know, whatever. You get the hockey package. Uh, so, But then the Olympics end and the, and the Stanley Cup playoffs start. That, that would have been smart, and they would some time to fit these games back in they're letting the olympics dictate how this season was gonna go and i just their the vice grip is closing on these guys i just don't know how they're gonna get it done in time then they'll get it done but i just dallas hasn't even started and here's a team what, what are we looking at carolina here like can we find this real quick without make making people sit here forever carolina uh their schedule uh what do we got? They were supposed to play Nashville tonight. Then they're supposed to play Thursday and Saturday with Florida. And then next Tuesday and Thursday with Tampa Bay. Now they're gonna or they're gonna go by probably not be able to play the games with Florida 
And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Florida get a late start because Florida's played one game? Yeah. Florida was the one that got they had to sit on the shelf because Dallas wasn't ready to go. Tampa you know, Bay too. Tampa Bay's only played two games. They're supposed to play Dallas tonight. I know, man. It's, it's, so now, so now you've got, now you've got Florida and Tampa Bay both pushed back. Dallas, uh-huh. Carolina. I mean, that's that's four teams in one division. <laughs> like, well, no, I mean, and the funny thing is, I mean. Okay, Dallas, Florida's the one that's impacted the most. Right. right? I mean, Florida's in there, not that anybody's done anything wrong, but Florida's minding their own business. And if they don't play these two games next week, here's Florida. Florida down the road here is going to have to make up four games. Yeah. Florida's going to end up playing four games in six nights twice or three times. Yeah, at least, if not more. If they want to finish on the date they've set. And this is just the beginning. Yep. Yeah. It, it, you know, I don't know, man. It sucks. This whole this whole thing. I mean, thank God sports is back. And, it, you know, but something like this, the 56-game mad dash, it's going it's to be wild. It is going to be great. But uh, good luck. Good luck squeezing it all in. All right. Well, let's squeeze in the American Express here, a golf tournament that neither one of us particularly excited about here this week. Out at PGA West, the stadium course and the Nicholas tournament course. Usually there's a third course because this is a pro-am event. That's usually La Quinta Country Club, but with COVID, no pro-am, no La Quinta. So we're just playing uh, the two courses here at PGA West. And in fact, the favorite for the tournament, John Rahm, withdrew yesterday. Mm-hmm. So he was the only single digit price. Now, Patrick, can't lay your favorite 12 to 1 going off the odds over at BetMGM Sportsbook. Patrick Reed, 14. Scotty Scheffler, 16. Kepka and Finau, 18. Sung J M, your boys, 20 to 1 here. Matt Wolf, 25. Abraham Answer, 28. Kevin Na, who won last week out in Honolulu at 30 to 1. On down from there. And, you know, two different courses here 54 hole cut, usually 36 hole cut this year. So, this you know, tournament, neither one of us really liked that much, and now it's kind of all thrown out of whack for a variety of different reasons anyway. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is I look at last year, but I don't even know how it applies. Um, you know, Am looks good, sure, certainly. He just plays all the time. Sep, Sep Straka was top five last year, and he's 80 to one. I think Scotty Scheffler was right there last year and that was kind of the beginning of his emergence, but 16 to one, I'm sorry. I'm not playing Scotty Scheffler at 16 to one. You know, I, I think, you know, to me, and I just can't stand this tournament to be honest. With you. Um, Doc Redmond, 90 to one. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's like the winning score is going to be 25 under par. It's a birdie fest. It's a putting tournament. It's goofball. But once we get into the California swing here, we're going to be good after after this thing. I just, I've never, I love the Hawaii tournaments. And then we get to this thing. And to me, the only way that to, to get involved is I'll, through the first two rounds, I'll watch. And then, all right, give me guys within shouting distance. Because you, you can't, you can't come out and shoot a 69. You know, a 69 isn't good enough to win this tournament on an opening day. Yeah, so you got to come out of the gate with a sixty-three or a sixty-four. I mean, you, everybody's just kind of whoever goes low in the beginning is going to keep going. It's one of those rare courses where 
you know, in your mind, you better make, you better, in your own mind, you better make par 66. <laughs> if you don't shoot 66, you're toast. You know, and, and last week I played some course correlation stuff and none of those guys came in and played well. I, several of them missed the cut. So that was pretty concerning for me. But there are a lot of similar courses here. Doral is similar. The South Course at Torrey Pines, Royal Portrush, Trinity Forest, which was added a few years ago down in the Dallas area. There are a lot of courses similar to this one. And this design from Pete Dye is said to be modeled after TPC Sawgrass. So this is these two courses are a lot like a lot of other courses that they wind up playing. So I didn't really see too many edges to try and grab of guys no. that you know play well at some of those other events or some of the other things. Adam Hadwin is 66 to one. He's finished in the top six, four straight times in this event, missed it last year because his wife was giving birth. Otherwise, you know, who knows, maybe he wins this one, but he didn't play particularly well to wrap up 2020. So not in very good recent form coming off the shelf. You know, I don't really know what to do. I don't know if I want to do, you know, horse for course, recent form, I have I, no idea. Here, here's one. Here's one for you. I would go with. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. Does uh, a guy that played the previous week win? You know that, that that's the kind of thing you're looking at. You know, Kevin Knock gets the win in Hawaii. He's coming over here. Whatever. <clears throat> He's getting pockets. Coming off the shelf. I mean, Ricky Fowler. He doesn't win. He's forty to one. Guy that can win, I think. Uh, coming off the shelf. And Paul Casey, you know, maybe at 45 to one, I'd look at a guy who didn't have to travel back to the mainland and whatever, and maybe but he could be shaking off rust. Too many unknowns here. I want to see a little, honestly, I, this is the one, I don't know that I'll do anybody on the front end. I mean it, Adam, I think I'll wait till Friday night and, you know, see what I'm looking at in terms of the top 20 and pick somebody from there. I think it makes sense. This is a, a course where strokes gained approach is really important, like most of them. Driving accuracy is fairly important. Putting, because as you said, a lot of guys are going to hit GIRs on these two courses because these are not tough courses. Whoever makes the birdie putts wins. I mean, I think it's you know pretty simple. So maybe you find a good putter. You find a guy who's maybe rolling it pretty well. But like you, I think in tournament wagering, the way to go for this one. Brian yeah, Blessing, the host I of think so. Go ahead. No, I think, Bill, and the other thing is, though, is you know, if you really want to go in and you do your homework on this thing, if you could find an edge, though, the fact they're not playing the multiple courses, right? So, you know, some guy, you know, guy could shoot eight under par on the other courses and then come to the the, the PGA Tour West, and but they're already in contention. And then, it, you know, the last round maybe is a little closer to the vest. The fact that it's on one course only makes it completely different than what it's been in years past. Yeah, one site, two tracks, but, you know, you don't get, uh, you know, you'll wind up playing the stadium course three times instead of twice. So, you know, somebody who scores well in the stadium course on Thursday or Friday, you maybe want to take them for the weekend. That's a pretty good angle to take a look at there. Yep. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. What's happening on those two shows, man? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, we've added an extra hour to Sportsbook Radio. It's on the Sports Grid Radio Network in Sirius Channel 204. So that's uh, 2 to 4 Eastern, 11 to 1 Pacific time, uh, Sportsbook Radio. Mr. Burke is going to be on with me today in the 2 Eastern hour, which we appreciate on Tuesdays. He does that. So we're having good fun with that. And Vegas Hockey Outline at 1 o'clock Pacific time. Fun hockey discussion. I mean, you know, a lot of Golden Knights talk, but it, a lot of it is a 
what's going on around the league and all some of the things we just talked about. And those shows are at sportsbookradio.com. I put them out on the Twitter at Brian Blessing, and we've got videos for the championship game uh, up and running. In fact, I did a at ATS.io, we did a NHL betting angle video. Nothing specific in terms of specific games, but just like an overview of things, kind of the stuff we're yapping about today. Just like a little Cliff Notes version of maybe things you should look for as the schedule's unfolding during the course of the season. Maybe maybe some little you know, nuggets you just mark down and things to look for that hopefully get you some winners in hockey. We did did that video at ATS.io. Definitely make sure you check that out. One more video coming up later in the week here from Brian. We'll see if that's the golf tournament or the Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream, uh, something like that. But Brian will have another video over on our ATS YouTube page here uh, later in the week as well. And uh, as he said, you know, tune in for my spot here today, uh, two Eastern time or so, a little bit after that uh, on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Sirius XM 204. Brian Blessing, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. Hey, buddy, we wrap it up here. I'm telling you, I've said it my whole life. It's unbelievable. You got Phillip Rivers and the Colts are home. Your Browns are home because coaches don't know how to handle timeouts. It's unbelievable. I'm wondering if one of these games, somebody cost themselves a shot at the Super Bowl by frittering away timeouts. It's the most unbelievable thing to me how this happens all the time. Yep. And we'll be able to revisit that on next week's show for sure. Make sure you follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Blessing. Thanks, Brian. All right. Coming up on our Wednesday edition of the show, we'll chat with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers about his thoughts on the AFC and NFC championship games. Also some college basketball stuff with regards to looking at different situational angles, conference specialization, and the Big Ten. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.